What if you could be doing something smarter with your money that creates income now? If you're wanting to get ahead financially and enjoy greater freedom of choice, if you want a comfortable retirement and you know you'll have more choices if you can do more with your money now, if you've wondered who else is creating ways to make their money work for them and you want actionable ideas with honest pros and cons and no fluff, welcome to the Richer Geek Podcast. We're here helping people find creative ways to build wealth and financial freedom. I'm Mike Stoller, and in this podcast, you'll hear from others who are already doing these things and learn how you can too. Welcome back, everybody. Joining us today is Chris Benson. He is the CIO of Reliant Investments, a subsidiary of Reliant Real Estate Management and one of the top 25 commercial self-storage operators in the U.S. Reliant has completed over $650 million in self-storage acquisitions and dispositions in the past five years and and recently completed Reliant Self-Storage Fund 1, which is a $50 million equity fund focused on self-storage acquisitions in the southeastern U.S. Chris is part of the investment committee at Reliant and helps to develop institutional quality self-storage investment opportunities for accredited investors. Welcome back to the Richer Geek. In today's episode, I am pleased to have uh, Chris Benson on the pad- podcast with us. How you doing, Chris? Doing well, Mike. Thanks for having me. So, uh, you know, we're going to talk a little bit about self-storage and what you're doing in self-storage. Uh, give me a little bit of, and, and our viewers, a little bit about your background and uh, why self-storage, what, you know, what made you get into it? Sure, uh, I'd be happy to. So uh, my background, Mike, is um, my last corporate job was in sales. Uh, so I worked for a company called uh, Intuitive Surgical. Uh, some of your listeners may know that. Uh, they make the Da Vinci robot. Uh, was really fortunate to be a part of that company. Incredible technology, incredible organization, incredible people. Nothing bad to say. Um, but, um, you know, I, I got into real estate probably like many of your listeners have. Um you know, there was a, a moment when I was about 30 that I woke up and said, nope, like I'm not doing this another 30 years. Um, and so for me to create that passive income, uh, the only path that I really understood was real estate. I'm not a super creative guy, uh, but, mm-hmm. you know, real estate's just numbers and that, that makes sense to me. So um, we started just like probably many of your listeners have. We, we bought a bunch of duplexes in the, uh, the area that we lived in and uh, did that for a little while, hated it. Um, realized really quickly that that was not scalable for what I wanted to do as far as replacing our income. So um, we sold those and um, I listened or read, I wish I could give credit to where I heard it, but somebody said um, big deals and small deals are the same amount of work. You just make less money on small deals. And that was sort of my aha, like, oh, I just need to get bigger. Um, So we ended up building a 64 unit apartment complex. Um, we sold all the, the duplexes, gave us a little bit of capital. Um, and I was making good money at, at uh, Intuitive as well. And um, that was sort of the light bulbs for me mm-hmm. is when I said, oh, this is how you make money in real estate uh, at a little bit of scale, um, could third party manage it. Um, so we invested in some multifamily um, properties um, in some of the primary MSAs, uh, 
focused primarily on both the passive side and, and direct. And what was kind of happening alongside Mike was that um, my, my uh, organic peer group knew what I was doing and basically just started asking like, hey, next deal, let me know about it. And so um, pretty quickly, a fairly sizable amount of equity uh, we were able to raise for the deals that we were participating in individually. Um, and so um, about five years ago, um, one of the operators that we had invested with was talking about compressing cap rates and what was happening in the space and how much capital was chasing deals. And <laughs> not much has changed in the last five years. It's, it seems to be only more frothy. Um, mm -hmm. But that, that got me looking at other asset classes. And um, that's where self-storage came in. I'm a, I'm a data guy. And so um, I went back and looked at, and, and I can send you the link to this for your listeners, but there's National Association of REIT Data. Um, which is a really nice comparator where you can look asset class by asset class and see how all the publicly traded REITs have done, um, which, which is a nice representative set of the asset class. And storage historically has performed incredibly well. So over the last 25 years, just under 17% a year. Um, and once I saw that, uh, it outperformed apartments, kind of the core four, right? Apartments, retail, office, industrial. And the next thing I wanted to see is how I've done in the last... Uh, economic downturn. So 2007, yeah. 89, um, storage did really well, lost less than 4% of its value, at least at the REIT level. And compared to apartments and retail and office, it, it outperformed again. So now I have this thing with a real strong historical return, um, some nice downside protection. And then, you know, the third thing for me that really kind of sealed the deal, not, not that I don't love multifamily, um, but was the consolidation play that exists in self-storage. So, mm. you know, there's five publicly traded REITs in the space um, and they own about 25% of the market. The other 75 is still up in the air. So I'm reliant. We're the 25th largest self-storage operator in the U.S. We have 52 properties, right? So there's a lot of mom and pop operators. And so there's a consolidation play there, right? The roll-up strategy where, you know, you take a bunch of mom and pop operated facilities, roll them up into a big portfolio, and there's an exit opportunity to either institutional capital or, um, you know, one of the REITs. So um, that's why I originally made the jump. And then, um, you know, storage, that was five years ago. First, I was an investor with Reliant. And, uh, and then about three years ago, they needed help raising some capital. And by this time, I'd, I had had some experience in that. And so we, we created a partnership and, um, it's been an adventure ever since. I'm, I'm talking from our office in Roswell, Georgia. So um, our corporate office is located just north of Atlanta, about 20 miles. And um, self-storage is at an interesting time. You know, we're recording this in the middle of December. Um, and obviously, it's still in the midst of COVID. And it looks as if storage is going to come through COVID-19 relatively unscathed. Um, so this will be two separate economic cycles that storage has performed well in. And so... You know, right now there's a lot of capital looking to be deployed um, in the space. So yeah, it's been an interesting journey. I've, I've bounced around a little bit and seen a lot of stuff. You know, it's fascinating. Uh, you know, when I we'll get into a couple of questions and, and thank you. It's a very fascinating story, and I think you know a lot of us that have been successful in real estate kind of have that same kind of path and that kind of same journey of. of you start out small and then you just kind of start bouncing upward and onward and, and, and getting into a more and more different types of units and diversifying. When it comes to self-storage, one of the questions that I always get 
is uh, it seems to be oversaturated. You know, that's the first thing. Well, you know, if there's a self storage on every corner, um, talk to us a little bit about that. Cause I, I would think that that would, that's probably the number one question that our listeners would have in wanting to invest in self storage is they see a lot of them. Yeah. Yeah. There's no doubt. Um, I think you can look back at why that development cycle happened with 2007, eight, nine. Right. Mm. So you know, 2010, everybody started saying, wow, storage did well. We're going to get into this space. And so mm-hmm. there were a lot of merchant builders, guys who were not, and gals who were not self-storage operators who decided, hey, we can develop the space, get it full and sell it to a REIT and they'll come and buy it. And there was a real, a, a very nice, you know, uh, return on um, or yield on stabilized costs. So mm-hmm. or stabilized yield on costs. So, um, you know, I think that's a big part of it. the last five years. We've seen a substantial development cycle in the market, especially in the top 50 MSAs around the country. Yeah. There's been a lot of new development. Um, you know, Reliant, our particular focus is um, secondary and tertiary markets. Mm-hmm. Um, so think the smaller markets. And, you know, I think with our track record, we've proved that that the REITs will go out and buy if you can, in those markets if you can uh, provide scale. Mm-hmm. We sold a 14 property portfolio in March to one of the REITs and it was primarily all tertiary markets. So, you know, it's certainly something like that you have to be cognizant of. Um, and our acquisitions team, it's one of the, you know, the many um, checklists we're trying to understand is what is the market supply? Um, mm-hmm. You know, what's creating the demand in the market? And, you know, there's no magic formula for it. There's numbers that people throw around, you know, seven square feet per person, right? So, if in a five mile radius, there's a hundred thousand people, the seven square feet per person metric would suggest that you should have 700,000 square feet of storage to support that. Right. Mm-hmm. And you know, that that's, there's not a lot of great science to s- support that algorithm. Um, so it, it's more about understanding the, the true market and, you know, what the competitive set occupancy looks like, right. If you go into a market and, and everybody's full, it doesn't really matter what the support, the supply number is. Um, it, it's demand. The demand is high, right? Because you got 10 facilities and all of them are 90 plus percent full. There's a pretty good bet there's high demand there. So mm-hmm. it's more than just one individual metric. But for your listeners, if they're looking at a self-storage facility, you want to be very cognizant of what the supply is in the market because it's basic, you know, macroeconomics. If you got a lot of supply, prices go down. If you don't, prices go up. Yeah. Um, now do you do, I'm seeing this trend of this, like the indoor self-storage, uh, where it's like in a building instead of you roll up with your truck or your car and you roll it up and roll it down. Are you seeing that trend continue? Is, are, are you focusing on that type of the building type or is the money more in just your standard self-storage unit where you roll up? Yeah, I, I think what you're describing is a, a drive-up unit or a climate-controlled unit. And, yeah. you know, especially in, in many of the, the larger markets, the new development has all been, you know, I think three-story glass and steel building, um, everything's self-climate-controlled. Uh, it depends. Um, each market kind of has its own unit mix. You know, mm-hmm. if you're in the South Florida, right? Everything's super humid. There's not a lot of drive up because the humidity is going to mold and mm. mildew on anything that's in a unit that's not climate controlled. You know, in 
Um, we, we just bought a property in Midland, North Carolina that, mm -hmm. you know, there's probably a 75, uh, well, probably 60. Mix between climate and not. So, you know, like, there you are. Yep. There we go. Sorry about that. Pause for a second. Hopefully you can edit that out. I can. <laughs> yeah, I was getting, I was getting ready to pause the recording, but yeah, we're good. Let me just uh, double check that it's not on my end. I think I'm good. But in any event, uh, uh, between climate and non-climate controlled mm -hmm. units, and it really depends on the market. Um, but certainly, over the last, a lot of the new development that's come out is is built around those climate controlled buildings. Okay. Yeah. I was, I was just curious about that because I'm, I'm seeing more of that uh, and maybe it's because I live in an urban area. Now, talk to me a little bit about the diversification of going into self-storage. We've talked a little bit about the Great Recession. And now I would think that during COVID, um, the demand would still be there because it's, or maybe even greater because maybe people are needing to downsize, you know, talk to us a little about how and why you're thinking that it's recession resilient, but also, you know, there's got to be this new word, you know, virus <laughs> resilient, you know, <laughs> you know, talk to us a little bit about that. Yeah. I mean, I think, if you think about the demand drivers of self-storage, you know, in the industry, we talk about the four D's, um, death, dislocation, downsizing, and divorce, right? So usually if one of those things is happening in your life, you're going to create some demand for self-storage. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, in, in our particular case, um, or with, with COVID-19, unfortunately for everyone and probably fortunate for the industry, COVID-19 is probably creating a little bit of all of those, right? You know, mm -hmm. people are dying, um, people are downsizing, um, and people are being dislocated to new areas, and maybe people are getting divorced because of COVID because they're spending too much time together. Mm -hmm. But, you know, generally, that's those are the demand drivers, and they're creating more of those. So, you know, if, if that happens, generally, demand's going to go up. So what we've seen, you know, across the industry, our, our portfolio is, you know, rather small, 52 properties across eight states, right? So we see a very small portion of the asset class, but we look to the REITs mm -hmm. to kind of give us insight into what's happening at a, at a national level. And they're seeing the same thing in that um, April, May, June was slow as people kind of were huddled and locked down and wondering what the new world was going to look like. And then, you know, July, August, September, October, um, so far, so good. The demand came back. Um, our occupancy across our portfolio actually went up, as did revenues. Um, so, you know, we're seeing demand drivers. One, one interesting statistic, though, that we don't necessarily know what it means yet is the average tenure of a tenant is longer during COVID than it was previous. So, you know, uh, if you think about storage, one big difference versus residential or multifamily is that the, the leases are 30 days. So we see a lot of churn of tenants. And um, what's interesting is people are staying longer right now. And we don't know if that's kind of ghost, we call it ghost occupancy, where once the virus, you know, um, clears out, maybe those people all leave, or is this a different consumer behavior? And so we don't, we don't know that yet, but, you know, time's going to tell and the data will tell that story. 
and it's uh, a very good future outlook. You know, you're thinking it's, it's not going to go down for any reason that it's going to uh, end the new world that you think you're going to see a, a very strong future. Um, yeah, I mean, Mike, what I would say is uh, one of the things that COVID accelerated for us as an operator was touchless leasing. You know, so the ability for someone to do everything online and, and literally if they don't want to talk to someone, they don't have to. Um, so there's going to be more technology deployed in the space to do to offer those kinds of things. But, you know, generally we don't see consumer behavior changing. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, COVID's causing a lot of people to move right now. Right. And, mm -hmm. and move into new areas and um, the net migration out of the northeast and kind of the Rust Belt states into the southeast or the, the Sun Belt states is is real. Um, so, you know, time will tell. I, I certainly can't predict the future, but we don't think there's going to be a major, you know, consumer behavior change because of COVID. Okay. Um, now, a little bit about Reliant Investments. Uh, is is what you do more of a, a, a REIT style? Is it a fund? Uh, do you do syndications? Tell us a little bit about what type of investment that you offer our listeners. You're saying uh, how we raise equity, Mike? Yep. Yep. Yeah. So right now um, we're raising equity through a fund vehicle. So, mm -hmm. you know, the best way to describe it is think mutual fund of self-storage property. Mm -hmm. So we used to, in the past, syndicate individual deals. So, you know, we would take to our investor base, hey, we're buying a property in, you know, Wilmington, North Carolina. Would you like to invest in that? And mm -hmm. then in 2019, we launched our first fund um, with the idea behind it of, you know, for our retail investors, guys and gals, you know, maybe they deploy $100,000 in the space. We wanted to be able to create that diversification for them. Um, and so the fund does that. So fund mm -hmm. one, uh, we ended up raising $47 million and there were 11 properties in the fund. Mm -hmm. um, so it gives the investor ownership in all 11 properties and, and that's good and bad, right? It, it smooths out the returns. Mm -hmm. um, so if one property goes down the tubes, the performance is buoyed by the other, but the opposite happens as well. If one property absolutely crushes, it's pulled down by the other property. So it kind of smooths out those returns. So um, right now we're doing fund two, um, essentially a very similar structure. We plan to raise $50 million dollars. We have two properties in the portfolio today, a third closes in January, and then we have four more under contract that are in the due diligence process, um, which will get us to seven. Hopefully we'll be, have all of those closed by the end of Q1, beginning of Q2 of 2021. And as most of your acquisitions, uh, it seems like you're closing on ones that are already built they're already there or you are you ground up? Yeah, so our, our sweet spot really is the value add play um, where we're buying an ass, a cash current cash flowing asset, asset and doing some forced appreciation model to mm -hmm. it. Um, you know, that could come in a number of formats. It, it could come in us building an additional building, mm -hmm. you know, some additional square footage and getting that leased up. And, and that's where the growth of NOI comes from. Mm -hmm. It could be a management value add where, you know, we're adding ancillary income items like U-Haul truck rental and tenant insurance programs and, you know, retail sales of boxes and locks, locks and blank, moving blankets, all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, and sometimes the operational value add is, is lease up. So we'll buy an asset where 
the current owner completed an expansion and we take over at 0% occupancy for that building, right? And mm -hmm. our job is to get it leased up. So we're, I would call us an opportunistic self-storage operator. We'll look at almost anything, mm -hmm. um, but that value add play, um, although we do do some ground up development, that value add and stabilized deals is really where our sweet spot is. And fun too, um, all of the deals, those seven that I mentioned are a combination of either value add or stabilized. None of those are ground up development deals. Now, what is the uh, real return on investment that investors can expect with your type of, based on your data and what the investors are currently doing? Sure. So I'll start with our track record. We, we've sold 22 properties in our history. Um, and our average, it depends what metric you want to look at, but our average project level IRR, for example, is in the 40s which is really, really high, um, but our timing was really good. We had two things kind of happening at the same time. You know, we were buying properties at a perfect time and cap, we were doing value adds to those properties and cap rates were compressing. Storage was becoming more valuable because more people wanted it. So um, we're generally underwriting, like our fund now, Mike, is um, projected to be a six year hold period um, and between 12 and 15% a year, um, including the profits from sale. So, uh, you know, the cash flows uh, current yield, so what we plan to pay right now are between 4 and 7% a year. Mm -hmm. And then um, upon exit, um, you know, you'll get the rest of that pop. And uh, we expect the returns to be, you know, a $100,000 example, um, we expect to return between 172 to 190,000 to you. Um, including your principal. So 72 to 90% over a six-year hold is the, the projected return for fund two. And do you leverage? We do. Yeah. So generally, um, you know, our, our leverage is between 65 to 70% loan to value. Mm -hmm. um, depends on the project and the lender, but um, we, we endeavor to not have the fund portfolio be above 70% uh, loan to value. Fund one, um, we ended up at the 11 properties, I think it was 68% LTV. So we're, we're generally in that ballpark. Good. And uh, we're getting close on time before I go to another one. Um, most importantly, um, how can all of our listeners get a hold of you, get more information? Where can they find you? Yeah, sure. I, I would say our website's a good place to start, relyoninvestments.com. Um, I'm also on LinkedIn, Mike, uh, Chris Benson, it's Chris with a K. Uh, if you Google me, uh, with Reliant, you'll, you'll find us, um, on LinkedIn, we're fairly active, post some stuff there. Mm -hmm. Um, but, but on our website, there's a, a bunch of information. There's some free education on just real estate investing on a whole. You can sign up and get all the videos. It's free. You just have to enter your email address. And then, um, certainly if you're interested in more on our investment platform, um, there's an our investments page that that will walk you through and specific right now to give you more information on fund two. Mm -hmm. And you know, for all of our listeners, and you can hit on this, Chris, the uh, to wrap up the tax deferred strategies also are good. Some people think, well, it has to be multifamily or it has to be you know single family, but you can uh, get some nice tax deferment also with self storage. It's the same, right? 
Are you saying from a depreciation standpoint yeah, or yeah. a 1031 type of structure? Well, you know, with the K-1s, with the, the um, with uh, depreciation, all that, it's not just on, people think, oh, they were always surprised that I get depreciation on hotels. You, you also get depreciation on your self-storage. Yeah, that's correct. So um, you participate as an investor um, at the LLC level. So you'll get a K-1 at the end of the year. And just like you share in your pro rata share of the revenue of the fund, you also share in your pro rata share of the depreciation. So mm -hmm. in many cases that, that offsets the income. Um, and like you said, can create a loss from, from the IRS's perspective on, mm -hmm. on that K-1 income. And uh, as far as your fund, uh, credit investors only, is there a minimum... Talk to me a little bit about what they can expect when they go to the website. Yep, for sure. So it, it's a 506C offering, meaning that all the investors do have to be accredited. Mm -hmm. And um, the investment minimum is $50,000 um, for a class C share of the fund. We have three classes of share. So um, yeah, uh, generally, if you're accredited and interested, by all means, reach out. We're happy to, uh, to get you some more information. Sounds great. Well, Chris, I appreciate you uh, coming on today and telling us a little bit more. I should say a lot more about self-storage. And uh, for all of our listeners out there, please check out uh, their website and uh, connect with Chris on LinkedIn. Thanks, everybody. Thanks for tuning in to the Richer Geek Podcast, where we're helping others find creative ways to build wealth and financial freedom. For today's show notes, including all the links and resources from our show and more information about our guests, visit us at www.therichergeek.com slash podcast. And don't forget to jump over to Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts and hit the subscribe button. Share with others who could benefit from listening and leave a rating and review to get the podcast in front of more eyes. I appreciate you and thanks for listening.